0: Pam Ochoa, I have a question for you, and my question is, when you think about your classroom, right, when you think about your school, when you think about going into your class, what's the the common image that comes to your head that gets you excited about just being in the classroom?
1: I think it's the stir of all the kids learning talking and writing and asking me questions and the fact that I'm able to help them out. I mean, I just think that's exciting. So, I like to set up my room and such a, so I start thinking about what's it going to look like? How am I going to set all this up? I mean, how am I going to conference with the kids? What how do I need to do my chairs and my desk and what is my wall going to look like? Where are they going to write on the wall cuz I let them write on. I have I have whiteboards everywhere, so I let them ride everywhere. So it's kind of fun.
0: Um, work together, right? When we were both coaches, and you came into my room, and uh, we were just kind of talking about like how kids would move and everything. Um, I, I did see that a little bit in you. Like you were just excited to like see kids talking and like interacting and stuff like that. Like, it was has your class always been like that? Um, probably not in the first three years that I taught.
1: Because I I taught (laughs) taught the way I was taught. And that was all rows. And I would get up there and lecture. And then I was always having to figure out what I'm going to think. And then I had 100 question tests. So then I would be up all night long trying to create questions. Because that's what we were supposed to do. So it wasn't until I had writing training that I realized it should be different. At that time, it was called New Jersey Writing Project in Texas. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's now called Abydos Learning International, but uh, that training, it was a three-week training. It was 15 days in the summer, and I was told if I wanted to get out of coaching, because I was a a volleyball, basketball coach, but then I became a single parent, so if I wanted to get out of coaching, I needed to take this course, or they weren't going to let me have full-time English. Well, you know what I did. I did what I had to do, and at first, I was real skeptical, skeptical like everybody else, but Uh, I tell you what after four days I was hooked and it didn't matter what I did they taught us how to write they taught us how they taught us by teaching us how to write they taught us how to teach writing so it it was really it was a neat experience and then everywhere I went there was all this there was a story in just everything I looked at. at the tree over there there was a story I mean I just it just changed my whole way of thinking and I wanted to share that with the students and, uh, and so I'd, that very next year I did, and it just made all the difference. And I've, I've taken off and been going ever since.
0: And with that, welcome to Craft and Draft with Pambo Cho and Jacob Chastain. Um, I am super excited to be... Uh, having this conversation, you know, for a little background for people listening to this, you know, who might not know who we are, just kind of our relationship with each other. You know, this is the, the, having a workshop podcast is something I've been wanting to do for a long time, but just like, this is the stuff, you know, the, our background and how we got to be doing this is kind of, it's a funny story in my opinion, because we just do this anyway, right? Like 9 PM, 10 PM, I'll be making dinner. And then we'll just chat for like an hour about workshop. <laughs> what are we going to do tomorrow? Yes. Yeah. And talk about kind of what we're doing. And we have a, you know, our background is just kind of funny to me. Um, but before, I, I think it'd be kind of cool just kind of give people some backstory. Before we kind of talk about how we ended up working together, um, what about a little bit about us so people kind of know our backgrounds and, and why we're why we're talking about workshop at all in this? So I figured we'd start with you. okay. What's kind of your, what's your teaching background? What would, what's something that you could tell us about yourself as an educator that uh, people would want to know?
1: Well, I've, I've been in, in this field for 33 years, according to uh, the documents. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But my, my parents were teachers. So Mm. I've been in this field all my life. I enjoy what education does for people. I enjoy how it's changed my life and how it changes others, and I like being a part of that. So, uh, I've taught English from sixth grade all the way to 11th grade. I've taught in every every group. I think I like middle school the best. That's where I've ended up at the end. Started in middle school, went to high school, came back, and I just love the energy that the kids have. And, um, but anyway, yeah, I've taught all different kinds of subjects, but English is where I'm. I'm home. English yeah, and, and reading, you,
0: and you really mm-hmm. have like you. I mean, you've got like teaching experience like out the wazoo. In terms of what you've done, you know, you're. Uh, I know when I got hired in the district, you were one of the like the the core people who we always saw it. trainings. You were always given trainings. Right. Um, so it's kind of wild to be doing a show and uh, writing a book and everything else uh, with someone that you basically gave me all the tools I had ever. Right. I mean, in, in terms of just like sheer district trainings, it's all you. So it's kind of funny to, to be here, but, um, what's, I'm interested, uh, you know, to just, what is it, what is it about middle school? You, you grab, we both gravitate towards like secondary, um, English r- workshop instruction. And what, what is it? Do you think that brings you to it so much?
1: Well, I I think it's my high school experience, to be honest. I I taught in high school for about 15 years, uh, ninth grade, junior, and and, uh, uh, sophomore, I guess, English, and then geography and history. But it it was in the ninth grade. I I taught about 10 years in the ninth grade, and I noticed that if we don't get these kids turned around before ninth grade, or at least by ninth grade, we're not going to get there. So uh, I decided that I could I could make a bigger difference uh, before they get to ninth grade. Mm. Uh, and so, if there's a way that you could get them turned on to reading and turned on, to, you know, reading and writing are the those are the foundations. If you can read and write well, then you can think well, most likely. And it's the basis of all of our subjects. And I taught I taught very many subjects. And so, uh, with that said, I just felt like like I could make a bigger difference in these kids' lives earlier. Yeah, And uh, I just have – and then I love them. I, I just think the kids are great, and I like watching them learn and figure out stuff, and I even like the drama. I think the drama is kind of fun, <laughs> and there is a lot of drama.
0: <laughs> for sure. Mm-hmm. That's hilarious. Yeah, you know, I I think we're both drawn to it for similar reasons. You know, I I don't – what's funny is as a kid, I don't remember – um, I don't remember middle school Like at all Like I remember very po- Like uh, very specific pockets I suppose But in terms of just sheer uh, Like I don't really remember my teachers Which is crazy Because I wrote a whole book Right about uh, All the teachers that influenced my life And there's like a huge middle school gap Not because they weren't mm-hmm. great teachers It was just a crazy time I think in my life So I think like going back Into you know I always saw myself as a high school teacher um, and I thought I would do high school because, you know, it's kind of where the the literature e- expertise goes in a way, right? Or at least that's how we perceive it, um, is, you know, you're a literature teacher, so you go to high school. Now, obviously, I wouldn't even be doing that anyway. I would be teaching core literature at all in high school. I would still be doing, you know, workshop, independent reading and all this other stuff. But I uh, that's how I always envisioned myself. And then I got the offer to teach in middle school. And it's like, man, I don't. Now I almost, like, I taught eighth grade my first year and then went to sixth, and I was like, I don't know if I'm going to like sixth graders. I ended up loving sixth grade. I love sixth grade curriculum. It's such a fantastic year. And then I was like, you know, uh, maybe I want to go down. You know, maybe go fifth grade, fourth grade, right? I don't think I would go lower than fourth, but, like, there's something about those early years of when you're really capturing uh, young minds with literature, when you're showing them and kind of... uh, Showing them the, the ropes of reading and writing and how because at those ages they're starting to almost they're starting to become people, right? They're starting to get their own ideas mm-hmm. and stretch beyond where they've come from and and become individuals and literature and writing combined is a it's a powerful force for for that age range because we're kind of setting the course of their future, like you said, right? by the time they got to ninth mm-hmm. grade, if they didn't have a nice foundation, I mean, the odds are just kind of stacked against them in terms of having a quality yeah. literacy life. So, um
1: well, yeah, that's right.
0: And you know, when you brought up you didn't when
1: you said you didn't remember a middle school teacher, I actually have a middle school teacher. It was my seventh grade reading teacher, Miss MacArthur, who uh, made a difference in my life. Well, actually, she called my mom her I wasn't reading like I was supposed to, <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, and that didn't go well. But, but the point is, is she cared enough and she introduced us. She was the first teacher that had actually what I would call a classroom library. And she had all kinds of books on that. And she would just had the, she was just the sweetest lady. And she would just say, you know, why don't you try this book? And I mean, really, if I go back, she's probably... my teacher that I had with experience that probably did workshop before we knew what workshop was. And uh, she actually is the one who turned me on to reading, but I promise you if she, if she had no idea I'd ever be a reading teacher based on my actions in the seventh grade, but I think it was in that seventh grade year that caught me and, and I mean, turned my life around and here I am teaching seventh graders. So go figure. Yeah. I hope I give
0: them the same experience. Well, and I think that's ultimately the goal, right? I think a lot of the reasons why those of us who are passionate enough to be, one, making a podcast all about literacy and reading, writing workshop, but also mm-hmm. to be you know, uh, listening to a show like this, right? People who are listening right now are the types of people that, um, that are like us to where we somehow we got influenced to such a degree that our passion leads to, like, there's a depth to workshop teaching that is – I don't think any other content really has. I know it sounds biased or whatever, and maybe I am a little biased, but I have never heard you know, math teachers or social studies teachers necessarily talk so in-depth um, about just their practice, right? There are books upon books upon books written about reading, writing, workshop, um, and you, there's so much training out there and there's misinformation out there. It is such a, a deep well of information. I think it's because it's infinitely, it's as vast as, as people are, right? Because the whole idea of workshop is really meeting kids where they are and finding just the right ways to push them into directions that serve what that, they, where they're trying to go. Right. Would you, would you say that's accurate?
1: Well, I think, I think when you're looking at a workshop, like what you just mentioned, mm-hmm. because it's so student centered, it does take on a different face and a different personality per classroom. Yeah. Because if you're student centered, it's not going to look the same. And I think that's one of the things that's exciting about it. You know, um, At some point in one of our conversations, I mentioned to you that when I I used to teach, it was all rows, you know, and it was just do what I was told. And, you know, when I was taught and it was all in rows and all worksheets and all of this, but it was the same old thing. And when I was teaching, it was like every writing piece looked the same and it was the formula that I was told I had to teach and all of that and and it was boring and I was like I've got to find me something else to do but when I learned about workshop and I started implementing it which I did implement it for the first time in ninth grade so it was in high school and I pulled those kids up around me and I read those trade books those picture books Uh, One that comes to mind is Rose Blanche. And I mean, those kids were crying when it was all over and they were all ninth graders. They were on the floor. They were all around me. Then I sent them off to write about their experience with that book. And I even later on had some kids that became seniors and actually graduated. And you know how you run into your kids later on when they're working. And they said, "Oh, Miss Ocho, we still read because you remember that when we read that Rose Blanche, you remember that." So I started that in the ninth grade. But I mean, that that class looks different from my class today because the kids and the way they react to books and what's available it changes. But it does yeah. make it more fun, and it doesn't make it boring because it's something different all the time.
0: Yeah, and I think that really drives the that that this. Passion of just workshop teaching, right? I think that's why we're obsessed mm-hmm. with it is because it's so, it's literally, it's infinitely fascinating. You know, I go in and I plan my mini lessons and I plan, you know, kind of the the arc of what I'm trying to get students to learn or where I want my instruction to go. But ultimately, it, it's going to come down to what, how they respond. You know, if I bring in a piece that they don't connect to, I'm probably not going to extend that lesson, even if I was planning on it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pivot. To what they need and to what they want and to what engages them. And that's that makes the the classroom infinitely exciting, right? And that's what I think threw me off um, when we had to go digital all of a sudden, which was this I, I got that that part got taken away. I didn't have instant feedback from students. And so I was just kind of running off of instinct, and that's fine, but workshop is all about Working with kids and like going, okay, what do they? What do you need today? When I'm conferencing with you and I'm talking with you right now, what is it that you need from me? And my, that's what my brain is constantly doing in the classroom, and it's just, it's just so exciting. Like I just can't. <laughs> there's no other way to describe it. It's literally the most exciting way um, to teach. But I now we this is what we do, right? We just we, we just went off on a tangent about how we wonderful did. workshop is, and that that it's beautiful. But here's the thing: I think I I want to share a little bit about kind of how we started working together in this capacity because it's a little different. Okay. I think it's a it's a funny story, IMO. So I I mentioned briefly that you you you're you've been in the district for a long time. You've been training people. You were one of the first people who trained me in avidos reading, which uh That's right. was a was a great connection to. Um, the stuff I was reading with Donald and Miller and Kelly Gallagher and all and Penny Kittle and all of those guys. So it was just kind of, you kind of gave me the tools that those books inspired me to go look for in a way. Um, but we started working together. You know, we were both at a middle school and I, you were the academic coach there and I was the literacy coach. Now let's go back. You have to remind me how many years were you an academic coach? Uh,
1: seven years. So you got, so I think I had seven years. I was, I, yeah, I think it was seven years altogether. <laughs>
0: So seven years of academic coaching, and then Mm -hmm. we're at this campus. Uh, I get hired as a literacy coach. They put we're in an office together, right? Right. And you know, there's I don't know if anyone's ever experienced something like this before, but like we were kind of well, I wouldn't say we were opposed necessarily, but it was like it. it, You correct me if I'm wrong, but I got hired, and it was like, why do we got to hire this young dude? Um, to do what you, like, you're clearly, your knowledge was deeper than mine. You have more experience than me. And then we get put in this office together and it was like, what's, what's kind of going on? Like, what was, like, that's what, what was happening in your head?
1: Well, you know, they told me the the year right before, you know, the summer before that they were going to bring somebody in to be a literacy coach. And mm-hmm. that's been my specialty all these years. Yeah. So it kind of <laughs> felt weird. I was like, oh, okay. All right. Well, I'll work with them, whatever you want me to do, because that's how I've been successful all these years is being flexible. You can't, if you're not flexible in education, you probably, I mean, just take this last year, going digital, not knowing if we're going to be face-to-face, not knowing if we're going to be online, not yeah. everybody, you know, I mean, you had to be flexible if you're going to maintain. But uh, yeah, so I was, I had that attitude. I'm like, I'm going to be positive, <laughs> And I get there and it's you. <laughs> And I was like, well, this is okay. I taught him. That might be a good thing for me. Yeah, Maybe I can influence him. And you were like, nah, I got this. I know how to do all this. I know all these people. And I'm like, and you did. I had no idea you had your podcast and all that. So now you were a lot bigger than I thought you were. I didn't realize all that. Well, the funny
0: part is, and <laughs> so like I have... I mean, I have, I'm have. i a. I'm a pretty confident human being. It's just kind of how yes. I run. Even if it's, like, fake confidence, like, I just kind of – that's how I go into any situation. I'm like, let's go, right? Um, right. And so when I showed up, I was like, let's get it. I mean, I knew who you were, obviously. Like I said, you. I'd been in your trainings all, like, since I'd started in our district and everything. Right. And, you know, I got offered to be a literacy coach kind of out of the blue. And I was like, sure. I mean, let's go. Let's try it. And walking in um, – you know, I, one, I didn't know what I was doing, right? Like I had no training and coaching. I didn't, I I didn't know any of that, but I I had all the knowledge and I did have the podcast. So I was connected to, you know, literally some of the biggest minds in education, um, on, on a personal level at that point. Cause I'd been, this has been several years into the podcast. Right. And it was funny because I had that, but you had so much more of like the practicality of everything, and there was I, there was a, a moment there were fe- several months I would probably say of us kind of you know we weren't hostile to each other but it was also like we you know I was trying to get stuff I was trying to do certain things you were trying to do certain things and it was like because it was kind of uh we were on a campus that was struggling in general um it was almost like we were opposed for a little bit right like there it's it, yeah it, it it did almost feel like we were set up again to be against each other yeah. And I you know I, I doubt it was intentional and and stuff like that. I don't think that, it was. It just looked like that. Sure. And I well, and I think we internalized it a little bit, right? But as mm-hmm. the year went on, um and as just our uh you know for anyone who's listening to this who might be a coach or has a coach, like coaching is a very hard thing to do um specifically on a campus that is Negative to being coached, right? Um, right. It, it's very difficult to meet, like, getting kids to kind of and using and working with kids to get them to move a certain way is a lot easier, in my opinion, than working with adults because adults are kind of set in their ways, especially if they've been doing this for a long time. Um, so when you are in a situation where we're both trying to do something, all you and I were really trying to do was trying to find creative ways to open up workshop to a campus that was not really workshop friendly. Right. Um, Right. And as we were working together, we were just like, Oh, we have, we're, we're right on par. And like, like over and over again, like week after week, we just started going, Oh, you know, like it was, we were,
1: Hey, we have the same ideas. We have the same philosophy. We were, we were entrenched in the same That's the difference. We were entrenched in it.
0: Yeah. And it was Mm -hmm. and like, I think there was a point, right? So I got a classroom um, after the first six weeks of teaching, uh, or being a coach there, sorry, and then they gave me a seventh grade class with one little block. And so, what ended up happening over time was we would sit there and like kind of talk about plans and talk about workshop and um, kind of think of new ways to engage. Because they gave me like a, the whole spectrum of learners in my classroom, so I had to get the super GT kids rocking and rolling, and then kids who uh, couldn't read basically a picture book. Well, right? you had in all on grade. Yes. Yeah. And all the behaviors. I mean, you listed; it. They were all in there It was a small class. There was like 20 kids. But they were I mean, it was it, was, <laughs> it was a full class, if you know what I mean. And it was well. And what the cool part was, is once we started talking and I kept we kept on going, OK, what? What do kids need to be successful in workshop? How do we meet the needs of all of these? You know, we started creating the system that would now become the name of the podcast, the name of the book, and the name of our presentations that we've done together, which is craft and draft. You know, the right. whole the two journal system of the craft book, draft book, and kind of the philosophy and everything else that wraps these two things together, weaves them together as the subtitle of everything <laughs> is called. But this that whole system and what we're gonna be talking about throughout the life of this podcast, I'm sure is really just the lo- the the love of the craft, but also our meeting of the minds and trying to figure out how to communicate workshop, not only to students and to empower them through it, but to also communicate to teachers who want to do this, but they have this question of, I don't know what it looks like. I don't know how to control it, right? Like I, that's something we've both run into uh, several times.
1: Well, and, and one of the things too that, you know, and we've done we we both have talked about this where we we've, we've done workshop, we've done journals, different yeah. ways, notebooks, different ways, learning logs, etc. But one of the things about our district, and I think it's across the our our United States here for sure, and that is we're standard driven. We yeah. had to figure out a way to, because one of the arguments that I think some people from the the philosophy that's kind of the old paradigm, if you will, Uh, they they are like, well, you're not really meeting the standards. You're just letting the kids do whatever they want. How do you know you're meeting those standards? And I think that was one of our biggest questions because where we were at on the campus is we had to show them that what our philosophy and that it really does help these kids become more literate and it helps these kids become better thinkers and it helps our students become better students and uh, readers and writers and all of that. So I think, I think that was one of the things that we faced was how do we, how do we track our students? How do we make sure that we're teaching at the level of rigor with the engagement that workshop brings to it uh, to meet this the satisfaction of our district, you know, there's meet the standard. And so it's really kind of a hard, it's really a big complicated puzzle sometimes if you, and and all of the, each one of those pieces can get in the way of success, I think. So we really had to figure that out.
0: Well, and uh, you know, it's also coming from, you know, just having a classroom. Uh, You know, I had really up, I only had, so in my time of teaching, I've had six principals. Um, Really, only two that I had, and only really one understood workshop on a deep level. But two let me kind of do this without any question. But all the other ones and district officials, I walk into my room, I was constantly faced with. um, And academic coaches would come in and go, you know, why are your kids reading, right? Why are your kids spending so much time reading? And and other than the obvious answer of it's a it's a reading class, um, you know, that's just not enough in today's teaching world. And rather than you and I kind of sitting back. And complaining about that, right, rather than just saying admin doesn't understand and kind of becoming jaded with Mm -hmm. it. We were like, okay, let's create a system, um, an approach to workshop that uh, not only does the things that we wanted to do, which is get kids to interact with authentic literacy, um, but that gives teachers tools to track um, everything that's happening. So that authentic practice becomes something that you can now go, okay, this is why we're doing this. This is how I know this kid is here. This is how I know they've moved. This is how I know they're struggling here. This is going to inform my tutorials. This part's going to inform my mini lesson. This is how I'm going to assess. And we just put it all into one big stew and said, okay, these are all the things we're being asked to do. Now let's break it down into some type of system. And that's that was like the birth of of craft and draft, or at least the original, um, everything. Yeah. And, there, and since we've kind of polished it and other teachers have messed with it in the district and, um, we've each done it separately at our campuses. And I'm just, I'm in love right. with the process.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. Well, my students are too. I mean, because if you, if you can look and see what it's funny because they they're having fun, they're enjoying what they're doing. And then wow. we get like, let's say after Christmas, Okay, And they're busy going, mr Ochoa, I have to buy a new journal. I have to buy a new notebook. It's filled. I didn't know yeah. we were doing all this work. And when you look at it, it's pretty impressive the kind of work these students are able to do. But what's neat about, I think, having... The two notebook system is you have a place for them to go back and, and relearn and to revisit what they've learned and evidence of their learning. But then on this other side, they get to express their their ideas and their thoughts and they ne- they grow as a person and they have all of that t- together and they can just go back and look at it. It's really neat to watch the kids uh, start kind of flipping through and not realizing that they had worked that hard. And then when they start getting some volume of work, they're like, wow. And then for other teachers to come and go, how did you get that? How did you, how how come your kids write
0: so much? You know, it's kind of a neat experience. It really well, is. And it's what my favorite thing is, um, you know, I definitely, over the years, I think I started out more on the reading side um, and just loving reading, getting kids to read. And ever since, you know, in the last several years, I've definitely gravitated towards um, writing instruction just because it's – I get so much volume out of it. And I've seen how it uh, is recursive into their reading and really does support their reading. And my – one of the things that I've always answered to is I'll have teachers go, okay, so you don't, like, prompt your kids. You don't force them to write, you know, a certain type right. of essay and stuff like that. And I'm like, no. And they're like, well, how do you know your kids are learning? And I just point to my big wall of writing and I pull out kids' port- ro- for- portfolios. And I go, you tell me they're not learning. After all of this writing and you can see their progress and they can see their progress and they're self-assessing their progress. I was like, "There's there, Im- implementing these pieces that we've kind of put together, uh, there's just there's no argument. Anyone who understands anything about education can see the work that kids are doing and the kids can see their own work and they can talk about their own work. I mean, how often have we heard district officials say, we want kids to know their data. We want kids to track their own stuff. This is it. This is, this is, this is the best way that you and I have uh, crafted and the best way that I have ever seen um, is to do what we're being asked to do as teachers, but not diminish the authentic practice at the same time. It almost sounds too good to be true, but like after like I've done it for several years at this point and I just I just keep singing the gospel. And now as the department head on my campus, my whole team's kind of bought into it and they're just they're in love with it, right? We just hired a a teacher she's been teaching for fifteen years. She goes, I've never had a journal system um, that does all of this. And I'm like, I know. It's great. <laughs> and we created it just because we were desperate. <laughs>
1: Well, usually, that's how things come about is desperation yeah uh, yeah no i i i think I've had a lot of success with it, you know, we implemented it last year and mm-hmm. and uh, there was a point in time uh i had to i had to be out of school for about two weeks, which meant it didn't probably run as smooth as it should with all my substitutes <laughs> yeah and I got back and and some of my kids were like. Are we going to get started back on that notebook again? <laughs> because that was really helpful. So I, I realized then it, it was really important to
0: them as well as it is to me. Yeah. So it, it was, it was neat. Well, so. Now, so we sat here and teased the whole craft and draft idea and everything. And here's mm-hmm. the thing: this is going to be a long, like this podcast life of this show. We're just going to keep going. So, people listening, I think you know the the advice is coming, the book is coming. We're going to lay out everything about craft and draft, but in the inaugural episode of our meeting of the minds on this podcast. You know, we were kind of thinking about like, there were so many topics we threw around about what to do. We were like, man, do we just start into doing workshop digitally? Do we talk about workshop? Do we lay out craft and draft in episode one? And I think it's so much more important at least to start to talk about like beliefs and philosophies. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- so we kind of landed on that. So to, right now um, I think it'll be good to kind of jump out and be kind of take turns and let people kind of get to know us a little bit as literacy teachers and workshop teachers to talk about um, our four beliefs about literacy. Um, And we're going into this blind. I want everyone to know that, right? We don't have, (laughs) uh, I don't know what you wrote. You don't know what I wrote. We might go down rabbit holes. We might have written some of the same stuff. So um, uh, I think this is going to be an interesting conversation. At the very least, people will understand a little bit more about where we're coming from and then hopefully join us. For further conversations, as they see um, people that they can relate to in terms of beliefs about literacy, so do you want to go okay. first? Would you love to do the honors?
1: I would love to do the honors. Well, the first thing that I thought about because you know we we were talking about this and and I mean, I probably have about twenty beliefs the one one of not the not. first ones that popped into my head was um you know. If, if a student what what is literacy first of all you got to ask that question mm. and I think being literate is more than just being able to read and write I mean it's being able to know your world and everything about it but to get the kids started you know sometimes they get stuck on one type of genre like I only listen to what uh, I read fantasy I only read you know whatever it is um graphic novels or Mm -hmm. etc so i think one of the things that's important when we're trying to teach literacy is that we expose these students to every kind of genre that is out there and so we need to make sure that we do that and we also need to expose them to varying difficulties because students need to be challenged but if they're always at the top of their challenge they're going to get disgruntled and they're going to quit so you need to have a variety so I think uh, literacy, you know, a, a variety about the world, uh, nonfiction, fiction, uh, science fiction, all of that, and then as as teachers, we also need to be connoisseurs, if you will, of all of these different type of genres, so that when we talk to the students, we talk to them from a, from a knowing experience, and we model for them. So that was my first thing: is varying the yeah. genre.
0: You need the variety, right? Because Variety. It, well, it's just it, it does so much more for us. You know, I think it's funny that I always think of my own reading habits, and I, I feel like I have a pretty good variety, but I definitely have um, key genres that I go to, right? I love – like fantasy mm-hmm. was the, the genre that opened me up to reading. You know, I had a fourth-grade teacher who read The Hobbit to us, and it, like, changed my life. And then after that, I've been a fantasy reader ever since – Um, I love fantasy, but I've since become like I'm enamored with language and I love uh, the power of language and stuff like that. And, and, you know, I hate to say this, but sometimes fantasy writers, uh, it's more about the plot and the, the world and the story and everything and not so much about just the language. So the author does not try to wow you with sentence structure or crafting with words and everything <laughs> right. like that. And, and sometimes it leaves stuff to be desired. And luckily, you know, I've kind of found myself, I read a lot of what we would call literary fiction, right? Like I'm reading the Overstory right now. Um, and it's incredible, but if I told you about it, which is basically it's about trees, you'd be like, okay, reading a book about trees, pretty cool. Um, but it's super, it's really good. And it's just rich and, so as a reader, I know I've benefited from a variety, but your so your first one connects to my first one. Um, oh my
1: goodness. Imagine mine's a little
0: that. bit, I know mine's a little bit more global, but I said literacy changes the course of our lives by giving us the keys to the kingdom. Oh, right? Yeah. So my whole thought about this is literacy is especially a variety of having a variety of literary experiences. It literally opens up everything about the world right? It's, it's the, it's what drives us to be more knowledgeable than our station, right? Becoming literate. Um, it it gives you, it shows you worlds that are outside of you. It shows you lives that are outside of yours. It shows you world perspectives, political perspective, scientific perspective, economic perspectives, emotional perspective. It shows you all of these things that without it, you have to rely on people to tell you or for you to see it. And, um, I feel like people just live very and kids will end up living very uh, much more shallower, shallower, much more shallow lives if they don't have um, these literary experiences, especially as a variety of them, like you said, because it's it literally gives us stuff that we can't have otherwise. Right. Like I know um, at least to some degree, the plight of people halfway across the world because of books I've read. Um, I can't really honestly tell you, I understood, um, like how, like the nefariousness of the Holocaust until I read novels that put me in character shoes where I was like, you know, as a young person, I was like, Oh, like this isn't, you know, this is more than history. Like this is something that happened very recently, um, in, in terms of like cosmic scale and it's something that should never be forgotten, but like, I mean, people. You, I, I feel like it just it gives us so much. Does that make sense?
1: Oh yeah. Well, you just mentioned my favorite genre, and that is historical fiction. Yeah. So I love historical fiction.
0: But Man, have you ever read uh, uh, "Every Man Dies Alone"?
1: I have not read that.
0: You need to write it down right now. It's historical okay, fiction. Okay, write it down. It's about. It's a. Tr- it's inspired by a true story, but it's it's about what, these. What was um, the title? Every Man Dies Alone. Okay, it's, I got it. It's inspired by these people who, um, they were resisting, uh, Hitler and the Nazis by they would leave like these postcards on the ground in random public places that were kind of like propaganda against him. Um, and it's a true story. They did this and like in the back of the book, they have pictures of them, uh, of some of the postcards not that have the, been salvaged. It's not the White
1: Rose? It's not no. the White Rose Society, was it?
0: Uh. I don't know if that's what it's called or not. Maybe okay. is that is that what they did? Yes, that's similar to what they did. That was a group of college students.
1: So yeah, oh, I'll, I'll have to look students, that but... one up. Okay, well I'll have to look it up then.
0: Yeah, very good. It's All also right. very anxiety-inducing. Gives me tons of anxiety to read that book. But okay, um, I might need to wait. No, <laughs> yeah, <there's laughs> a, a rough Til, time until
1: this pandemic's over.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know, a lot of books don't give me anxiety, but reading that book, I was like, okay, all right, all right. Got anyway, you. well, I like, you're I number like two. Kind of stuff.
1: Um, my number two is oh, I don't know. Uh, what I put down was students need to be given time to explore mm. independently before we step in as teachers, because a lot of times we'll step in way before we need to, and then it just... It just stops the flow and it stops the learning. And I think sometimes when we step in, it makes them feel like they don't have the, it doesn't give them the confidence. It, it causes them to lose confidence. So there's a, there's a magic about that in art about when to step in. So I think that they need to have time to read and they need to have time to write and they need to have time to explore. And it needs to come from their own selves. It can't come from... Uh, some kind of something I've given them, like a topic that I've given them. I can help them with that, but I think it needs to come from themselves. And uh, from there, what I need to be doing while they're exploring is I need to be, as a teacher, uh, monitoring, modeling, taking information down about them, finding out what their needs are so that I can conference later. But anyway, I think it's time to read and write. Maybe that was it. I second that a
0: lot, and it connects to my number two, which is, well, because I said my number two is literacy empowers our voice and it empowers student voice. Um, and that's because this whole idea of, you know, if you give kids time to actually read and write, and if you give them time to explore their own mind, um, I think that is they, it starts to empower what they think because, you know, I think the biggest criticism and to some degree, I think it's an unfair criticism, but also, to some degree, I think it's a fair criticism, which is school is seen like in the public eye as a place where kids like go to get indoctrinated. Right? Um, mm-hmm. A lot of people, political pundits, uh, just people on the internet. Like I was listening to a podcast today that was basically saying, um, you know, get rid of teachers. Like, why do we have educators? Uh, all they all they do is tell kids what to think. And you know, I think that I think that's because. Of what education used to be Because I think it definitely used to be more like that Um, But in terms of workshop and what we're talking about it's, It's so much less about what we think And what we're trying to Or what we think kids should know It's more about, okay, where are they? What do I need to do for them to continue them To learn down their path, right? I mean, it's I mean I have kids mm-hmm. in my classroom that say stuff that I disagree with all the time, right? Or the, you know they'll they're uh, right. they have different belief structures than me. They have all these things, but it doesn't matter because the what we're doing is we're trying to empower their voice so they can go off and and achieve what they want to achieve. It doesn't matter. Like I'm not here. I'm not a fountain of knowledge trying to just uh, wash all over them and then they can go off and think the exact same way as Chastain. I was like why why would we ever want that. And I think that, uh, giving them that time to read and write on their own and giving them that, and then going over there and asking them what they're thinking, asking them why they're writing something, asking them how they're processing their book that they're processing. I think that is the difference maker in terms of teaching kids that their voice matters, right? I mean, if they can walk away from our workshop and feel like they have a voice to say something, I mean, what more could you possibly want?
1: No, that's true. And I, I think that's where the power is, actually. That's where the engagement comes in. Yeah, And, and the kids, it's, it's really student-centered. It has to be student-centered. It has to be about them. It's not about my agenda. It's not about my time or my schedule because you know sometimes as a teacher we have this schedule and we feel like oh okay you got you got your five minutes that's all you have time to write okay now you've got your five minutes it's all time you got to read now I've got to do all the vocabulary work and I mean (laughs) we tell me if I'm wrong but I don't think I am (laughs) and you're like oh I got to do that oh I'm getting a praise so all of that comes into play and a teacher really has to fight that pressure that I just mentioned and and trust uh, Dr. Carol Joyce Armstrong Carroll, who is probably my largest mentor for me, and of course she's the one that that uh, uh, founded the Abydos International, or you know the the stuff that that trained me. So she's actually my my mentor. But Dr. Carroll said we've got to trust the writing. We have got to trust the reading. We've got to trust that it's going to do what it needs to do for these students. And you have to stop and let that trust manifest in the work. So anyway, I thought that was something that's always kind of stuck with me is I got to not I just got to trust this process and it's going to work. And I got to put it all back into the, I so often, and especially when I first started would take the ownership. So I guess maybe my third one, if you don't mind is ownership. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The students have to own the work and, and where we, that number, number two kind of leads into them owning that authentic work. And we have to trust that when we give it back to the students that they, like you said, when, when you said a minute ago, Uh, come into my room and see what these kids have done and tell me they're not learning. Just go ahead and look and see. And so I think we have to trust that. And it's hard for teachers who have been trained in the, in the way that I was trained. And that is everything in rows and that factory model. It's really hard to let go of your classroom because, because it, because our administrators now I think it's changing that when I first started back 25 years ago, I'm telling you, uh, they would look into my room and the kids were working and they were sharing the reading and they were sharing the writing. And, you know, every, I was walking around the room and working with all the different individual groups and they were like, Oh, Pam, your classroom is just out of control. No, you, no, there's learning happening. It's just, they're not in rows. So yeah, I think, I think, um, I
0: think, yeah, that is really important. In the, it's so funny that you list all the stuff and the the schedule and everything because, I mean, how many teachers are being handed, you know, let's ignore scripted curriculum because that's entire schedule just given to them. Oh, um, yes. But, I mean, how many teachers are given, you know, a, a, a sheet of lesson plans to basically fill out and it's like, okay, do your word work here, do this here, do that here, do that here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like all of that – I feel like some of that comes from well-meaning – People who design that, and they're like, okay, so we need to kind of nudge teachers to do these things. But then it creates like this fractured belief about learning, which is that learning is a bunch of isolated parts, and then kids somehow walk out learned of your classroom. And I think the experience that you and I have had with doing this, which is, you know, some days we don't get to certain things, and some days um, we go down a rabbit hole and just let it roll and let kind of this messy art of learning occur. And, you know, if kids, you know, I want kids to not really think that they're learning a lot in my classroom. Like I want them to be so engaged in what either they're reading or writing that it's, it's so entrenched to who they are, um, that they're going through that process. And me as the pilot, you know, I, I forget who said it, but I always think of it like of, a I stole this, but I always think of it like an airplane to where it's like, you know, when I'm riding an airplane, I don't know what's happening. I don't know how it works. I don't know the science behind it. I don't know what's happening in the cockpit. I don't know how to do any of that, but I'm enjoying the ride and it's fun. But as a teacher, that's what I want my kids to be. I want them to just enjoy the ride. I want them to be happy, excited about the destination they're going to. And then as the teacher, you know, I'm the one behind the scenes. I'm crafting it. I'm I'm thinking about the the art of learning. I'm thinking about literacy and how things connect. I'm thinking about all of those pieces um, but in my own little way, and I'm letting learning happen along the way, right? Does that make sense? Now, see, here's the thing. Number, my number 3 deviates a little bit from this, so Oh okay. Uh, yeah, we I know. Go. I know. Here we go. I don't know the what the ride
1: begins. Something I think we've been going up the roller. We've been going up the roller coaster, and now we're at the top. And you know how when you look down and it's like way far. Here we go. Yes. We're now going goes. down.
0: We're going down, Whee! and this is uh, so. This one is really fascinating to me. Is I said literacy uplifts empathy. Oh, in my that's and, a
1: good one.
0: Well, and here's the thing. I, I, there's some really quality studies out there that show that kids who read more tend to be more empathetic that just reading fiction and everything like this, it, it creates, um, it, it, raises our empathy levels, um, quite a bit. And I think that, uh, you know, I think that the the world we live in today, I don't know if anyone stepped out on social media in recent times. Um, but it's not very empathetic to anything. Um, everyone kind of hates each other. <laughs> Um and, and no one really sits down to talk and discuss and try to be empathetic as to why someone might think something, right? Or why someone might be on a certain belief spectrum or anything like that. Instead, we're just like, nope, you're wrong. Here's my meme that tells you you're wrong. Here's my thing I shared from the Facebook page I follow that tells me you're wrong. And it's just like, I... I don't want my kids to live in a world where they don't have empathy for someone else. Even if you disagree with them. You can be diametrically opposed to someone and still have empathy for where they are. It's 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 doable. Like <laughs> and I feel like uh I feel like that the giving kids books and giving kids time to write and to explore ideas in a safe place, um, whether they're reading or writing, I think it really does I think we're doing them an emotional favor. So even if they don't leave our classes wanting to read 100 books a year, even if they only read a book a year, um, even if they go for a while not reading, I think that in our classes, the more they have access to that and the more they have access to different ideas, different perspectives and stuff like that, I really do think we are giving them a, a, a capacity for empathy that will benefit them in the majority of their lives Far long after they've they've left the classroom.
1: With that, I think I kind of connect with this next one. Okay, kind of connect. I don't know. We'll see if there's a connection there. Writing must be shared. Ooh, response uh-huh. to that needs to happen, in that's words, needs and that's your bread and butter. Be a
0: dialogue. I, I knew there was going to be one in there from you on that. I thought about this the last night, and you, I was like, she's going to say something what? about writing and sharing. That's that oh, is like yes, that's like the shared. definition of your class.
1: Yes, well, the thing is, is you talked about that empathy. Yeah, and how better you said you said reading makes a more empathetic person. Mm -hmm. But when writers are able to share their writing in a safe environment that you mentioned a second ago, Mm -hmm. if you keep that that uh, environment safe, then what happens is the students that are listening to the writers become more empathetic to their classmates and what you end up creating is this community like these students have never experienced before i mean they're really i mean it it just builds that community and it and it and they they become empathetic inside the classroom which i think will transfer so i think that kind of ties to your your empathy.
0: You know, I, I agree. I can't wait to talk um, about some of the strategies for sharing that you're just going to have to lead that episode. I know we're going to have it because um, it's <laughs> something um, – it is something I do. Um, but it's it's definitely like sharing and stuff like that is definitely um, – I have need for growth in that aspect. And that's what you're just so good at it. I mean, partly because you're you're you know, you're a freaking diamond level Abydos trainer, and there's so many strategies oh. in Abydos for for sharing that's that's really powerful. So I can't wait to chat about that. But all right, so my number four to kind of wrap it up, um, it's kind of a cheating one. I wasn't sure if I wanted to say this one, but it's kind of cheating. But I think it wraps up everything we said very nicely and all the ones that we could say, we could probably keep talking about this for several hours yeah, at this point. I
1: really have one more.
0: I know. Well, maybe we can share that one too, but this one is literacy affects everything. And this is, I think this wraps up why I'm so passionate about it. Why I believe in the work I do, why I wanted to make a podcast where we literally, I just talk and record for other people to pay attention to our conversations about literacy and invite other word nerds to come join us, which is, it it literally affects everything. It's, it's, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, I just bought a house recently, right? And there was this whole – we had contracts and everything else to sign and on the other side, um, these people were not advised correctly and they had issues on the the contracts and stuff like that that could not be fixed because – of what I could only describe as a lack of uh, uh, literacy knowledge in just contract law. Uh, There was, but this has happened to other people, right? How many how many people sign stuff that they don't even understand what they're signing, right? Mm -hmm. Um, There are, there's endless programs, there's emails you get sent, there's business opportunities. Um, I had one of my coworkers, she brought her daughter into my room and her daughter wants to be a writer, Right. She, uh, she wants to be a writer and be all this other stuff. And, you know, as her parents, um, lovingly, you know, they want to kind of, they're like, you're not going to make money being a writer, go off and, you know, be a lawyer, be all these other things. She's also like, yeah, she's one of like the top percent of her class. So like this kid is, she's got a bright future for her. She's got great parents. So like, she's going to be good to go. But her parents are like trying to nudge her this way. She's like, I want to be a writer. And I said, I was like, you know what? I was like, I just told her, I was like, let her write, let her explore, let her write poetry, whatever she wants to do, do that. Because that stuff, even if she doesn't become a fiction writer, right, even if she's not the next J.K. Rowling or Stephen King or something like that, even if she doesn't become Billy Collins, um, that practice in writing um, inevitably tied to her reading is going to benefit her. In so many more ways, you know, if she goes out into the business world, she's going to be far more articulate. Um, I mean, how many times have we gotten emails from people and you're like, maybe you should have paid attention just a little bit more in right. school. Like you get judged on how you present yourself to your bosses, to your co-workers and stuff like that. So having a, a, a literacy background, a, a, a level of literacy that is deep and wide and everything else, even if you're not a passionate reader or writer. I just think it, it literally ties into everything in the world. Um, and then after that, you know, if you have that foundation, you can do pretty much anything, in, in my opinion. I, I literally do think, like, it's its the core. It's, it is what it is. Literacy is life, Pam.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to say, I agree with you. I have to say, I that hope it so, because otherwise, you and- would. We'd have to fight. <laughs> what would we be doing, right? <laughs> no, I, I can't tell you how many times just being able to read and and figure things out, and I mean, some pretty difficult documents that have not that yeah. have actually saved my life and kept me out of trouble. Yeah, uh, just because I read the small print. I mean, it's really important, and I, and uh, so yeah, I think I think it does impact everything, and it and it it is pivotal to success for our
0: students. It really is. All right. So we've gone for about an hour. All right. So what do you think of it? I can't wait to just share more with people. I think uh, they are going to enjoy it. Hopefully they enjoyed kind of hearing our backgrounds on literacy. This is what it is. This is a podcast. Could be us chatting, asking <laughs> questions. People want more okay. of Craft and Draft in our work. I need you to go to craftanddraftworkshop.com where you can find everything. As you're listening to this on your podcast feed, hit that subscribe button if you loved this first episode. I don't know how many star reviews we're going to get. I don't know if we have 20 people, 4,000 people listening to this first episode. If this is your first time joining us at Craft and Draft, do me a favor in your podcast app. Hit that five-star button. Leave some kind words. Let people know that this is the hottest workshop Podcast out there for English teachers. Bring them along. Share it with your people. Um, we're going to be talking a lot about workshop, a lot how to make this look digitally, how to flip the classroom, how to uh, practices, everything else. Maybe even bring on some of our favorite literacy people to do some interviews. But other than that, it's going to be us talking authentically about our practices, about our beliefs, about what's working, what's not working. Maybe bring some lesson plans in and go. Okay, I'm having trouble. My kids aren't learning. I need your help, Ocho, and Ocho will school me and how to do everything and we will make things happen pam do you have any last words for the audience
1: well i'm excited about this time and i i can't think of anything better to do than to just talk about what i love most reading and writing and teaching students so i hope everybody enjoys it and i hope that uh they can walk away with uh all kinds of information from what we're going to offer this this during this time
0: boom all righty everyone we'll see you next time